Pastor Ben here, finishing up our study in the book of Amos by reading and talking through chapter 9 today. Up to this point, it's been a pretty dark book. The sins of the people, the false worship, the oppression, uh, God is taking it very seriously and is describing just exactly what is the consequence uh, and the judgment coming for those sins. In chapter 9, we have one final vision uh, that is unlike the four visions we saw in the last couple chapters. Uh, as we see this is a really clear picture of the day of the Lord. There's some connections to the Messiah and also really uh, some bright places in what's been a pretty dark book. So uh, as we get into chapter 9, we see Amos saying in verse 1, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar and he said, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. Now right away, starting with this idea that God is at the altar. Uh, The altar represented the place where people would bring sacrifices to God in order to uh, be accepted by God, to connect with him, and that they would... uh, either have their their sins forgiven to be able to confess and and have the chance to pay for those sins or just to offer thanks to God it was it was the place of of communicating with God so to have God at the altar sounds like okay now i get to to deal with him face to face but if we think about what we heard the warning earlier uh in the the book of uh, you will meet the lord your god uh, we are seeing that what's happening here is God is standing at the altar and that able to reject all that's coming. Uh, and to the point where they're not only being rejected, but they're being killed off. Uh, not one of them shall flee away, not one of them shall escape. Uh, Amos goes on to uh, describe just how impossible it is to escape this judgment. Starting in verse 2. If they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up into heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. So there is nowhere they can go. Hell, heaven the tops of the mountains, the depths of the sea, there's nowhere uh, that anyone can escape God's judgment. And uh, he turns the words around earlier in the chapters. He says, seek good and not evil, or hate evil uh, and, and do good, seek out good. Here he says, well, you have decided that you want evil. This is what evil brings you, right? I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The next couple of verses, as we saw uh, in an earlier chapter, describe who God is, in case we've forgotten his power and, and his sovereignty. Verse 5 says, The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell in it mourn, and all of it rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and founds his vault upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. Again, the idea that God is so powerful that uh, the, the physical makeup of the earth responds to his power. 
the idea of the earth melting and rising and sinking like the Nile, right? Great earthquakes. Um, and that he is sovereign over all things. His upper chambers are in the heavens and his vaults on the earth. So everything from the top of the heavens to the bottom of, of the earth and everything in between is God's. And then he's, again, in charge of the waters of the sea. And he's the one that designated them where to go and how to be on earth. God is powerful. And that is the, the power of the person who was bringing this judgment. Then we hear a couple of rhetorical questions. Verse 7 says, Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaphtor and the Syrians from Kir? Again, pointing back to these powerful nations are not powerful because of anything inherent to them. It is God who gives any and all power and authority uh, here on earth. Verse 8, Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. So here we see just a small glimpse of the remembering of God's promise, right? That uh, the the blessing of all nations from Abraham, the um, and eventually we'll see the, the promise to David that there would be a king from his line, uh, Israel is facing uh, destruction. Judah is facing destruction. And uh, it will not be a complete thing. right? I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. There will be remnant. Verse 9 gives us an interesting picture. 9 and 10 says, For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes with a sieve. But no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say, Disaster shall not overtake or meet us. Again, the pride of these people in thinking that uh, they're a powerful nation, they have everything they need, they're comfortable, uh, and nothing bad is going to happen to them. God is saying, oh, it's coming. Uh, this picture of, of shaking out uh, the wheat in order to get uh, the good stuff, the grains out, and anything that's not good stuff, in this case it says a pebble, right? But any kind of rocks, any, anything that's not edible, right, in this case is representing the sinners, and he's saying, I will, I will sort through the people. And those of you who think that you are good enough are going to find the judgment based on how you have responded to me or whether you've listened to me and followed my word. But this story ends considering how dark, on, uh, how dark the book has been up to this point. Chapter 9 really ends on a quite positive and bright note, uh, which is a relief. Uh, again, knowing that while no one is perfect, uh, we also know that there are those who are uh, attempting to follow God. We know that there are those who are seeking after him. Um, even as we saw in chapter 8, that eventually when people start to realize, oh, the word of the Lord is no longer here, there are going to be those who, who do desire to follow God. And so uh, this bright point, speaks to them and speaks to us as we look forward to the final day of the Lord and knowing that uh, we won't receive the judgment, but that we have Christ's righteousness, and so our sins are forgotten. Chapter, uh, verse 11 says this, In that day, the day of the Lord, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that it may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name. 
declares the Lord who does this. Now these two verses, uh, we have a picture again of that, that Davidic kingdom, the, the Messiah to come out of the line of David. Uh, but we also, these two verses are used by James in Acts chapter 15 as, as those, the early churches navigating what it means uh, to be a church and, and, and what their job is. Uh, James uses these two verses to help them see like the path to salvation is not just for Jews, but it's also open for Gentiles. Um, so if you want to read the account of that council in, in Acts 15, um, this, this is quoted as proof of uh, the idea that the remnant of Edom, Edom is not Israel, right? And that there could be nations, if all the nations who are called by my name, the only one we know of at this point is Israel. So the idea that any nation could be called by God's name uh, reminds us that, that God's message of salvation is for all people at all times. And then we get this beautiful picture of what the restoration really looks like. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. This picture being that the, the crop is so good, it's so plentiful, and it's so abundant that the workers are sort of tripping over each other. Uh, the, the reapers would be the ones that would get the first gleanings of food, and the plowmen uh, are the ones who are, are coming to uh, make that land ready for the next amount of seed. And then the treader of grapes, right? The people who are making the wine are, are overtaking. The, the seed hasn't even fully been sown before the, the grapes are ready to be made into wine. Just a wild idea of, of complete and utter abundance. As he goes on, the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant the vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So just as we've seen that uh, the destruction by God is, is unavoidable, the complete restoration of God is also uh, unable to be broken or destroyed. Uh, that ultimate uh, day of the Lord that we look forward to and knowing that uh, we will walk with God, that he will create a new heaven and a new earth, and that we will be made complete in Christ. Right, this uh, agricultural picture of that, of knowing that all our needs will be met uh, and that everything that God establishes uh, will not fall apart, will no longer be corrupted, uh, but will be perfect and everything that we need will be provided. It's, it's just such a comforting picture to know uh, that the things we struggle with in this life and the difficulties that we have uh, will eventually be gone, and not in our life, in the, the life that we have on this earth, but in knowing that there is a, a future hope to look forward to. And so uh, we know the things that are happening to us now, as, as we consider what God said, uh, seek me and, and find me, right? The, the, the things that are difficult in our life are, are ways and opportunities for us to seek out God and to, to know him more and get to know more of him through that. Um, that's the, the full picture of 
uh, where Amos is is teaching us today that we don't necessarily have the abundance that's pictured in this uh, image at the end of the chapter nine, but we know that we get to look forward to that. And in the meantime, the difficult things that we go through, um, whether they're natural calamities, whether they're consequences of sin, all of these things are meant to bring our eyes to Jesus and to help us to teach our hearts to depend on him in all things.